Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome back to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host, Nick Easter. This week, we'll be reviewing everything that's happened in the quarterfinals and, of course, the semi-finals that are coming up uh, this weekend. And we'll also be talking about the news that there's no longer any crowds at any of the matches and what that means for the game of rugby. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So, Nick, listen, you're up in Newcastle and um, I was going to ask you about your week, but uh, I guess you, I suppose you're in the news, Newcastle anyway, have been for the signing of um, Luther Burrell uh, from Rugby League. We all know him from Northampton in England and maybe sort of unfortunately got that sort of memory of the game. I think it was against Australia. Was he taken off after 30 minutes by Eddie Jones and and sort of uh, went 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 downhill from there, really, for him when it came, you know, came to his career. But great that he's back on track because he seemed. Uh, I love what he said. He said, "Look, I've got some boots. I've, I've, I'm I'm really fit. I'm in great nick. Just give me a call and I'll just shoot up there." And straight away, you obviously maybe you know him anyway. But he's uh, he's uh, he's he's signed for Newcastle, which actually is a great sensible signing. But what sort of shapes he in? Well, he joins on Monday, so uh, we haven't seen that. But um, yeah, oh, hello, yeah, I'm doing a podcast. Boring yeah. as shit. Okay. <laughs> um, he joins on Monday, um, and I think he's in great shape, isn't he? I mean, he put basically put an advert out there. You know, he let he left Warrington. He, he gave it a crack. You know, it didn't quite work out. How, you know how he wanted or they wanted. And he's back, you know, doing, the, you know, playing a game that's, uh, you know, kicked it all off for him and that he's got plenty of experience in. And, uh, you know, speaking to him and hearing those conversations with Dino, because Dino went to meet him face to face, you know, he's got the bit between his teeth. It seems like he's been doing a 10 month preseason. Apparently, he's 10 kilos lighter than when he was playing Union. Um, so what? He's, he's fit as a fiddle, mate. He hasn't got any miles on the clock. So he's, he's keen as mustard to get stuck in. I've said to him he's going to have to put some of that weight back on. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, look, he's a quality player. You know where he can get to. I played him in 2015. Um, when he's on, he's on. I mean, he got him, what, you know, 20-odd 20, 20 odd caps. How many has he got? Just mid-20s. And, yeah. and most of them were in a row, mate. Most he wasn't sort of like spread out five here, two there, over a sort of 10-year career or, you know, eight-year career. It was... It was done in sort of a year and a half and two years of playing for England. So he was there and thereabouts. And you know, people he never can, recovered, though. He never recovered. I don't think. No, you know. exactly. And people can talk about how that might have, you know, affected him, you know, from a confidence perspective. But look, you know, it was a long time ago. Now it's over four years ago. You got to get over that. And I think, you know, he had plenty of point to prove. He's a bit more senior now as well. He's, you know, got it. You know, he's got a few more years behind him in terms of his experiences and. You know, along with his playing quality um, and, you know, what he can give in terms of his point of difference, we'll also want him to nurture some of the younger guys and, and, and you know, help out some of the leaders we've got in Newcastle. And I think, uh, you know, it's an excellent signing. I'm looking forward to him coming next week. I think it's a great signing. You know, when I, when I saw that and within 24 hours signed for Newcastle, I thought that's a great bit of business, you know. Um, and I think he can add a lot of value. Yeah, it's just that time I remember watching him. Yeah, lack of confidence. Eddie Jones... 
I, I thought it was pretty cruel because I didn't think he was playing that badly. You see, Eddie Jones reminds me a bit of uh, Mourinho, you know, like the way he's treating Deli Alley at the moment, not giving him any game time, taking him off be- before half time. It must be must be tough for uh, you know for a player to go through that. I, well, none, I, of them, no- none of them have required, recovered, have they? So he's done it from memory. He might have done it. He'd done it more, but I remember three games all on tour to Southern Hemisphere. Is the first test you must spoke about Luther thirty five minutes something like that. Third test, he did it with Tamana Harrison. Yes. And he did it in the South Africa game, 35 minutes with Ezekwe two years later. And yeah. none, none of those three players, they might have played for England again, maybe off the bench, but never, no. never got close to, to start. Yeah, Tamara Harrison. And he's sort of like, I thought he was the next best thing. But yeah, do you know what? Oh, some coaches just get their favourites or they just get it in their head. And sometimes they use that as a statement to everyone as well. You know, I don't know. I follow football quite a lot of football. I don't know whether you've been watching. Um, is it uh, all or nothing We're on on Amazon Prime with uh, with Tottenham? No, I don't. I want to get to that. Yeah, I haven't started. Oh, no, it's really good to watch it because you know people think that these footballers live this easy lifestyle, but it's it's tough at the top. And he's pretty brutal, and he call, he calls Deli Ali the lazy shit trainer or whatever, and then refer you know where's Deli Ali? I can only see your brother. It's like your brother's play, you know, and now. He's only had he's had forty minutes football, and then he got uh, he got taken off at half time or something. I mean, he, you know, sometimes coaches use. I mean, Mourinho did that, didn't he, up at Newcastle with Pogba, Pogba and he sort of set his sights on Deli Ali. We've seen that with Eddie Jones; he sets his sights on certain people, and suddenly, bang, they're off and they're out. Yeah, it's um, it's a management style. Yeah, it's a management style. Some people sort of need an arm around their shoulder and nurturing and telling how good they are, even if. It's not that good. And others, you know, you and me were from an era where it was a rocket up your ass and you've got to deal yeah. with it and be pretty thick-skinned and take it on the chin and take criticism. And, you know, now nowadays, you know, there's less people, that less players survive like that um, or, or can are able to take that. And mm. Mourinho is very much an old school or, you know, from that sort of era where this is what I want you to do. If you're not doing it, you better do it. Otherwise, I'll be on your back. And... You know, most people think it's a pretty reasonable way to go about it, especially when you're getting paid the money you are and the expectations that, you know, in your contract of, um, you know, being as professional as you can be as well, you know, deem that you should obviously put in those performances. And, you know, if it's not suiting suiting the manager, then he's got to let you know. At the end of the day, yeah. mate, a player wants you to be honest with him. Um, I don't know whether he is or not, but uh, sometimes you can't gloss over that sort of stuff. And uh, as I say, I'm not taking sides because uh, I haven't seen the documentary or watched much of it. But No, uh, it's great. You should watch it. I tell you what, though, you should be a tipster because last week in the last podcast, you, you predicted correctly to lose. But the big one where mm-hmm. nobody, everyone I spoke to, talking about the Leinster-Saracens game where we're not we're always talking about well how many points are they going to win by I mean it, lots of supporters ex-players all saying the same thing no chance I mean I mean my personal feeling about the game is Leinster you know were not battle hardened because they were playing they won the Pro 14 you know without their best players playing and they just cruised through and they weren't battle hardened and yet Saracens had had eight games, Premiership games, you know, smashing the hell out of each other. Some of them they did well, some of them they struggled, but actually got themselves, teed them up very nicely for that final. But when I looked at the starting lineup, I just looked at it, I thought I just couldn't see how Saracens could win. I like Alex Good. 
I've never seen him as a consistent 10 who can run a game very easily. He was just unbelievable. Wigglesworth is another player I, I, I felt is a very good kicker, but an average passer. But he had, he had the game of his life. And I just, carries, mate. They don't like passing the ball, so... No, but then I just looked at You looked around the pack. I mean, who would have expected to see, you know, even without the likes of Ben Spencer, Ben Earl, some of their best players having left, uh, Nick Tompkins, all these players, and yet to do that, and up front especially... Yeah, but listen, you mentioned those players, and you put it out on Twitter as well, right? And people can get... Again, it's, it's whatever narrative you want to put on it, and... You know, I just thought Saracens would win. And as I said to you, they had to have Wigglesworth playing um, from the kicking perspective. You knew what they were going to do, Saracens. And yeah. they had been priming for this game for eight months. And you just felt that they had a plan for Leinster. Um, and it wasn't too different to the final last year, mate. It wasn't too different to the final. Ultimately, Leinster played too much rugby between the 10s. Saracens weren't prepared to that. They, they, you know, they punched them out between the 10s. And Sarri's got, you know, they got stuck into them. They got in their faces. Leinster were making mistakes. Sarri's set piece was excellent. And then you come down to the scrum. Same as the World Cup final. No scrum, no win. And the yeah. lift that a scrum, and people talk about, oh, the scrum's boring and all this sort of stuff. But you don't understand the lift that the psychological edge, the yeah. one scrum penalty, and not a scrum penalty that's, you know, wheeling or the scrum goes down. A scrum penalty where you ask, dominating as eight, the opposition eight, from a psychological po point of view, that puts huge doubt in you as the opposition, as an eight, and the backs yeah. saying, my God, we're going to be in for a long afternoon. And the lift that gives your eight, and then your, uh, and, you know, and after that, your, your back line is huge, mate. And that sort of energy, Saracens have literally lived off, you know, throughout the, the you know, their years of mm. success, shall we say. Um, but also from a playing point of view, Brax, so you talk about, you've mentioned three players that weren't there, Ben Earl, Ben Spencer, Nick, Nick Ma Malins, yeah, Malins, Nick Malins. Well, they, they they were never established, right? I'm not saying they're not good players because I think two of them will be playing for England in the for, forthcoming games. At the time of Saracen's success, they were never the established, hard, experienced heads. The guys that were there were Wigglesworth, good, yeah, out of position. Duncan Taylor playing instead of Alex Lazowski outside centre, and you know he's a guy you want in the trenches with you. Brad Barrett, you know we know we know what you know what a fantastic captain and leader that guy's been. Um, Mako Vinopola, Vincent Cock, Jamie George. Right. You know, let, is there a bet? Is there a better front row in Europe? Probably not. You know, you add Michael Michael Rhodes to the back row, um, and I yes. thought I thought Itoji was fantastic as well. Oh, what about the but you, but you look at their team? You look, you look at their players, and look, they obviously knew that knew they didn't have the strength and depth on the bench, which is why Mako played sixty nine minutes, Vincent Cock played maybe seventy, whereas before they might have played fifty five. But uh, they primed these individual athletes because the premiership meant nothing to them to make sure that they were conditioned to go as long as possible because they knew that they had to go as long as possible along with executing a game plan to perfection to come away with the result. And they did it. And, you know, best, best I've seen the Toji play. It's one, it's one of the all time great wins, isn't it? It's just a pity there's no fans. Yeah, I mean, Toji, I think at one stage, he tackled someone, got up, tackled someone, got up, tackled someone, counter-ruck, turned it over. So, I mean, he was just phenomenal. It was just... And do you know what? It's one of those games. It had the hallmarks almost of the World Cup final with England against South Africa, didn't it? You know, it was just one of those where no matter what England did, every time they had a penalty against them, it just... 
you know, you could see the heads going down and you could see that all the time. I know there was a moment in the second half where uh, Leinster sort of, ten, you know, they, they turned it around quite well and back into the game, but they never really looked like they could, you know, carry it through and carry it. And every time they, they, they made a step forward, they went a step back with a penalty in the scrum. And it just, it just, I mean, Good was outstanding at 10. I mean, that little that try that he was, uh, that he started and, and finished off was outstanding. But it was just one of those games. My question is, is in a way, I guess, and we will talk about the, you know, the other quarterfinals and, and, and who we think will win the semis. But, you know, is it, is it too much to expect for Saracens to beat um, you know, uh, is it uh, racing Metro this this weekend? I mean, is it too much for them? What do you think? Yeah, look, they're they're great semi-finals, great semi-finals. I'll just touch on the quarterfinal again, and I think I said it last week. Is those Irish players um, have, well, you know, that their bogey team is the English. We spoke about the last three times England have battered Ireland. You know, the same faces in there, the strong Saracens contingent. And it's yeah. a psychological mountain that they're yet to get over. And it's, you know, most of the Ireland, Ireland team are Leinster. Most England team are Saracens. And uh, Sarri's also winning the European Cup final last year. You know, that's four results uh, out of four, really, where they've come head-to-head. You know, Itoji, Ryan, Sexton... Um, you know, versus obviously the back line. I know Farrell wasn't there from Saracens and the Vunapolas and all of that sort of stuff and yeah. Ian Healy's and, and everyone. And, you know, when they, when you know you can't really beat someone, you know, whether it be an individual, whether it be in your units positionally or whether it be as a team, when you know you can't really beat them, then it makes it very hard. Because you know, Brax, mate, you've got to have belief. <laughs> if you don't have belief, you can forget about it. Um, and uh, it was enthralling. Anyway, to your question, can they emotionally get up for it? Have they planned like they would have Leinster? You know, eight months of planning how to play Leinster tactically, strategically. Yeah. What's your team going to look like? What's your balance going to look like? What's the most effective balance of of your back line, of your pack? All of that sort of detail that would have gone into it Um, and getting your players ready and fit. Look, What's in their favour, I think, is the freshness of people like Mako and Wig and, and a lot of the other guys um, that uh, have been managed throughout this Premiership return. Um, it's just whether they can get to the same levels and whether the game plan um, will suit you know, the opposition. But uh, I'll tell you what will be in Saracen's favour is they played Racing in the group stages, didn't they? If you remember, and I actually went down there with a relatively callow team and put up a good account of themselves. Uh, Racing mm. got, I think, the bonus point. I mean, this is going back to when we were actually playing rugby in front of the crowds, you know, maybe sort of November, December, if you remember. Racing got the bonus point, but Saracens didn't give up and they didn't have any of their superstars playing. So they've been there before. Um, they, they would have had their analysis done on them. Do I think they can win? I I think it might be a step too far. I, I'm not gonna. Oh come know, on, Nick! Yeah, you got to right. I'm saying Saracens. May I say Saracens? Obviously, to beat Leinster, I just think it might be a little bit too much for them. But never write them off, mate, because it's not as no. if they're it's, it's not as if they're burnt out from rugby. It's just whether they've got enough under their belt, I suppose. But uh, Racine, hugely impressive um, down at Clermont. They're very comfortable in the way they play. They've obviously got plenty of X Factor with Fakatower and, you know, Finn Russell and a few other players. But the pressure will be on Racing again. That's the thing. Um, you know, Saracens might enjoy the fact that the expectations on them. And if, and if Saracens can go, 
you know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes leading on the scoreboard, mm. then, you know, you, you've got to start to favour them because they know how to close these games out. But I suppose if I'm going to put my cock on the block, if you like. <laughs> Not literally. Yeah, I'm just going to... Uh, be a small block. It'll be a small block, Nick. Yeah, yeah a tiny, <laughs> a tiny little pebble, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it will make, I'm going to go with Racing I'm going to go with okay. Racing that one alright ok well I'm obviously going to go with Saracens um, but that's just uh, that's uh, obviously for my history of playing with them and supporting them but listen I think I, I hope to think I like to think that last weekend a lot of Saracens haters out there in the rugby community I think may have may have sort of like changed their mind a bit about Saracens. But we're well, not I've never g- cheered so much. For, I've never cheered for Saracens, actually, but I've never cheered so much for Saracens. Oh, well done. Actually, it's quite refreshing. You know, I love the underdog, all that sort of stuff. It's quite refreshing. Also, England v. Ireland. Well, you know, you're obviously going to cheer the English. And, uh, you know, well done. Well done. Did well call done. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so the other quarterfinals, I mean, obviously it was a given Exeter against Northampton. We all knew what the result was likely to be there. Um, Toulouse and Ulster again, we all know. But it, I'm interested to get your take on Exeter. Um, I've seen some interviews with Rob Baxter. You know, he's playing it all down and he's saying we're keeping up, you know, feet on the ground. Obviously for them, big, you know, they've got huge games coming up. They've got obviously the, the semi-final against Toulouse and looking at Toulouse, they've got, they really have got the X factor, haven't they? Um, Colby on the wing is outstanding. They've got some great backs as well. It's just interesting with, with Exeter though. I think what Rob Bax is trying to do is manage their expectations. We've been here before. They've been in finals. They've lost. They've lost three of, of the last four finals, haven't they? They got to the quarterfinals, lost against Wasps. So for them, so I think psychologically, you know, I think it's quite hard for Rob Baxter to prepare them properly. I mean, they've been outstanding this year in the Premiership, you know, country mile leaders in every respect. But again, it's all down, and this is playoff rugby, isn't it? It's all down to the last few games where it all counts. And I've just got this sense that, I've just got this sense that, that those losses will count for more than having a successful season getting to finals is it is it one of those things I don't know what your take on it is but you know when you, you you're always the bridesmaid and you just keep being the bridesmaid you know it just tends to stick a little bit you talk about Saracens having that mentality of never give up and you sense that they would win against Leinster but against Exeter I sense that you know is there a potential that they might choke that they might not play their game that they might get worried because obviously playing against you know better opposition now in this semi final it's it's all you know do or die which is different to when you know in the pro you know that i've got another week to get it right i've got another week it doesn't matter now this is it this is your moment mate this is an extremely tight one to call again as you'd expect you know two cracking semi finals um, Toulouse have got the X factor, you're right. They play some scintillating rugby, you know, Dupont, you know, Colby, um, you know, Huger, you know, all the guys they've got there um, in the back line and also a forward pack that likes to offload and is very, you know, mobile in doing that. To answer your question, Exeter don't give up, mate. They came, if you remember, they came back, you know, they came back against Saris the last two finals. The other thing is, there's losing finals, which they've done three out of the last four in the Premiership to Saris. But there's losing finals knowing that now we know that they cheated. And I don't say that to sort of get in like a little you know, bit of banter with you. I say it in terms of if you know you've been wronged in them, 
any sort of issues or demons you might have about, you know, freezing in the final moment, which I don't think they did. I just think, you know, last year was just a cracking game of rugby. And sometimes you come out of the wrong side of it. Um, is uh, that actually your focus is more on, we've got to put this right. We know, we, we've we got to put this right. The fact that we were wronged in those finals and, you know, we probably should have been champions. Um <laughs> And I also think Rob Banks is a very shrewd and astute coach where the expectation has been on Exeter for a long, long time to win not just regular league games, but knockout games. And we know knockout games are a little bit different, but he would have psychologically made sure that they're in the right place for that. I also think what's been missing from Exeter in terms of success in Europe is that extra X factor that's needed. You know, match winners turn the game on its head, tight games, you know, because you can be a well-drilled side, but ultimately against the very best, you do need that sprinkling of stardust to, to, to turn up for the big occasions. And signings like Johnny Gray and Stuart Hogg were exactly why they were brought in. You know, he's, he's not been a big guy, Rob Baxter, for making those big name signings. There's been a few, you know, a couple of Aussies have come in with the right sort of self-awareness and uh, an attitude and everything to, to add to the squad. And he's obviously developed his own in people like Slade and, and Jack Knoll. Um, but I think signing those two guys was a statement that if we are to make the next step, that's the sort of quality we need. Mm. My prediction in it is I think... Extra, uh, not extra. Toulouse looked a little bit lumpy, a little bit sluggish last week in the forward pack. They, they, you know, they, they, last year when they won the top fourteen, they were the fittest side in in France because they were playing a fast, high tempo, offloading game. They could mix it in the forwards. I don't think they've come back in the same shape. It was a bit stop starty. Um, it, it, it was it was quite a slow. I don't know why Ulster did, but Ulster wanted to play a slow game against them, which was madness because they were always going to get beaten up there. Um, and I think Exeter's fitness um, and conditioning of a, is of such a high quality, um, and their relentless, um, you know, their relentlessness in all aspects of the game. So if the attack's not going well, well, the set piece will bail you out, or the defence will bail you out, or the kicking game will bail you, bail you out. Um, I think if the if the crowd was in, I would say, you know, probably you know, 70 percent, eighty percent of me say Exeter. I think without the crowd there, the tomahawk chop, chop and all of that sort of stuff and the energy and sort of emotion that the crowd can drum up for these sort of occasions, I still plump for Exeter, but only just, maybe sort of 60-40 Exeter. And I just think that they know their game. They know their game under pressure. They can go to all facets of their game. And I think they've got the, the conditioning element and now they can match the X-factor element with it. Um, we'll see them through, but it's another tight one. It's another time. Oh, I think it's, yeah. Wouldn't it be great, though? <laughs> Saracens against Extra in the final. I yeah, mean, you can't. Yeah. Oh, you, mate, yeah, that would be you cool. can't, you can't, You can't do the cheap thing there, can you, Nick? You can't play that card because... Well, it depends, mate. It depends if Saris have sort of offloaded some of the salary cap from the uh, from the Saris players to the championship when they're in the championship and they've moved the seasons around. You just don't know what goes on behind closed doors there, do you? One minute I thought you were a Saracens lover. Now, now with with that Barb comment, that was a proper Saris hater because they cheated. But listen, I, can yeah, mate, I was I was all over them last weekend. Look, I'll be supporting them this weekend. I just I just think I'm just going to go with two home victories within us um, under a score, 100. percent You know, it's going to be so tight. Go and that it. final, if, if 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 the final is what you say, is I'd love it to be Saracens Exeter, but I got a feeling you're right. I think you know it might be racing against Exeter. That'd be amazing. Rocket. 
with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. We are joined on Monday by Jamie Peacock, Great Britain and Leeds and Bradford Bulls, rugby league legend, one of the best. Here's a quick teaser of that interview. Jamie, I can't believe how good you're looking. Look at the state of me and Nick. Look at you. Look at you. Look at wrong. Hey, I, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking, fucking, is it, these guys look good. I'm looking old here. <laughs> Same age as me. I'm looking old. Mate, you're rocking, mate. You're rocking the grey beard and the grey hair. It's a lot better than having no beard and no hair, eh, Brad? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Rocket, Kieran Bracken, Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. No other news apart from around the world. Good to see Rob Howley getting his uh, getting himself back into the game of rugby. Um, well, no crowds, mate. No crowds now. Oh, yeah, we're not even touched you know, that, that. That is probably the biggest news, Brack. So it's nice to know you've done your research and prep. Well, I thought, do you know what? I, I had it down there. It was number one topic. And the thing is, I'm so sick of watching flipping news every day. There it goes down to six people and then to crowds. So yeah, the crowd scenario is just, uh, I mean, look, it looks like, it looks like no one's going to su- survive past Christmas. Um, I mean, pretty, it's cl- dire, pretty dire comments, wasn't it? By, you know, if we just look at premier rugby, um, I know there's a lot of other sports, you know, in worse shape or, you know, about to be in the same shape, but you heard, you know, a number of owners coming out saying, yeah, catastrophic was the word, wasn't it? And, uh, yeah, that's big. The question that, uh, look, Sport isn't the be-all and end-all. There are more more important things. But ultimately, in such sad and depressing times when people need a lift, nothing gives you a lift more than sport and entertainment. And yeah, look, people say, oh, well, they can entertain by streaming on telly. Look, people should have a choice. If they want to go to a live game of rugby, of football, whatever it is, let them go. It's their own choice. And at the moment, I think it's a little bit of a dictatorship. We've lost our democracy. Um, The pilot schemes worked at Gloucester and Harlequins. There were no positive cases from those games. Um, There is no reason why, you know, everyone knows that you're going to be far more safe um, distanced in an outdoor stadium than you are in a bar or restaurant or in, you know, your local supermarket, which is absolutely The fact that you can now, you can go to concerts or you can go to music um, you know, outdoor mu- music sort of festivals in a stadium, but you can't for sport. It just doesn't make any sense at all. No. And they start saying, we're worried about people traveling uh, or going to the pub beforehand and the pub after because they might be a bit tipsy and might be socially distanced. Well, what's going to happen now is they're going to go to the pub during the game and get even more more legless and probably flaunt yeah. the laws even more. So that doesn't make any sense. But if you are really worried about that, why don't you bring in the army instead of threatening to, to help police and process us back to a new normal and bring in the army who, to be honest, you know, have been, you know, I know a few people in the army who have, you know, been sitting at home frustrated, been on full pay and not doing anything. They're like nothing more to be involved in a sports event and helping to organise and, di- you know, make sure people are strictly disciplined to obviously the guidelines. Why don't you bring yeah. them into any local boozers within a radius of, I don't know, a mile, two miles, if you are concerned, to police that? Why don't you say if you're coming to the game, you can only drive to the game, and if you're walking or cycling, then you've got to be within a three-mile radius. You know, in Melbourne, they've got to be within a 5K radius to go to any games. Um, yeah. But I have a proof of address that you are within three miles, say, which is roughly 5Ks. Um, and therefore, that's responsible. 
you know, so yeah. walkers and cyclists, they can do that. And if you don't have a car and want to drive from outside, go and hire a zip car. They're about 10 or 15 pounds a day. Yeah, look, the, the fact is, mate, you're never going to cater for everyone. You're never going to yeah. cater for everyone. I agree. You've got, you've got to allow people into the stadium, not just for the business of sport, but also for their own well-being, mate, because, you know, we, we had... You know, I, 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 gives them I, a lift, you know, gives them an escape in life. You know, young, you know, you're bringing young kids who have obviously missed a term of school, maybe longer, and you know they're not able to play sport, but they can see their heroes live in the flesh play sport. You know, and you know it gives them great inspiration yeah. as well. And I, I don't, I am, I, um, I, I nearly, and I didn't do this, and I wish I had because I'm so worried of the woke community of just like, you know, saying all sorts about your opinion. I completely agree with your opinion, but Will Carling. Uh, bless him. He he's sort of he's very much in the mould of like what you say is kind. Of, let's get on with. Let's get. He quotes uh, to quote the short, uh, Shawshank. You know the film. It's time to get busy living uh, or or get busy dying. And it's true in a way because what he's saying is he says there will never be an, an end to COVID. It will never go away. We have to get used to it and get used to living with it. Flu came along, killed hundreds of thousands. We live with it. It's part of our everyday lives. Cancer kills millions we don't stop eating foods and living lifestyle that increase the risk of getting it so i think the point is really in a way the swedish model you know possibly the herd immunity may have been the right way to go we won't know history will tell us but i, I kind of think though in, in in years to come we'll look back and the, the, you know 2020 hindsight will be perfect won't it what should they have done and in a way you know if the rugby clubs are going to go bust. The football club's going to go bust. There's no community anymore. Mental health goes down. Jobs aren't there. Massive recession. You know, if they're worried about things like that, why don't you have an earlier kickoff? Pubs can't open till 11 o'clock. Get a kickoff for 11, 30, 12 o'clock. You don't have an issue with that. You know, it's just... You're always going to get... You sort of wonder what goes through their thinking, mate. You just just think you've got all these people at the table. How about Newcastle? And the other thing is that when it comes to a bailout and government support, you know, one of the things, especially with the EFL, they're saying, you know, they don't want to have a government support when, you know, there's players in the, in the I don't know, in the Championship League, one, league two, who are earning a million, two million quid a year. I mean, I can't see that would be a fair bailout when the players are getting a lot. So two things. Firstly, how are Newcastle coping without, uh, the potential of any crowds um, and can how long can they cope for? And secondly, do you really think that if there aren't any crowds, the players are going to have to actually take huge pay cuts just to survive for the next 12 months? Yeah, that's going to have to be it, mate. Um, look, redundancies and salary reductions um, if you want to keep going. And uh, as I say, it, it's... It's highly frustrating, mate. We don't want to get into the political debate about COVID as a whole, but in terms we just of, have, but we just no, have. No, no, but that's but with this is what I'm saying. Keep to the sort of you know people in stadiums and and why that hasn't been you know continued. You know, uh, you know, you look at I know we'll get onto it, but you're having a rugby championship at the moment, and they're filling half the stadiums in Australia. I know, yeah, I know the R rates different and all that, that sort of stuff, and you know they're not a central hub like like England is, and you know for the rest of the world. But uh, if the pilot scheme worked and there's no positives, why can't you still have reduced amount of people in there? Because people are responsible. They will do the responsible thing when they go. You know, they, they all had an allotted time to turn up to make sure they were distanced going through the turnstiles or whatever it may be, you know, the ticket collection. Um, they want to go and see these games. As I said, we're a democracy, not a dictatorship. Um, give people the choice. 
give them the choice. And ultimately, yeah. mate, the reason the R rate's gone up isn't because of people going around and seeing their mum or people going to sports stadiums. It's the house parties they've had, you know, with 30, 40, 50 people around there. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've... Gatherings and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm sure you've... I'm sure you've seen a lot of the uh, stuff on, on, on Twitter and the jokes, but sort of like I got one, it was like, it looked like a government heading. It was like HMC government, eat, uh, August, eat out to help out, £10 off. September, drink up and fuck off. Fuck off yeah. Or £200 fine, which is quite funny. Uh, what I don't understand is, like for the whole of eat out to help out, right? Did someone not say, do you know what? You're all going to be like ramming these restaurants. And that's probably going to mean that potentially have a, we're going to need another lockdown. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like no, no, try and stay. So we don't want we we don't want people getting close contact, as you say, yeah. and we also want them being healthy. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to eat out as often as possible. And McDonald's is on half price. KFC is on half price. Oh yeah, right. And we're going to ask you literally to be on each other's shoulder eating. So yeah. whose fault was that? Whose scheme is that? The government's. Yeah. And now everyone pays the price for poor Oh, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? Anyway, listen on that note. Um, have a good week, Nick. Um, I hope it gets uh, gets warmer up there. I know the weather's not great and uh, a few more signings. Mate, it's up. been, mate, I'll tell you what, it's been... What you enjoying it? it? It's literally been the same weather as Durban up until today. Ah, oh, okay. Well, it's been glorious just, up here well, for about well, a month, well, mate. And in today... You got the I got the proper northeast uh, welcome, mate. Hailstones for a bit, torrential rain. Welcome to a rugby session in the northeast. You've had your honeymoon period. Nice. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for listening to Rocket. Uh, we're back on Monday with Jamie Peacock interview. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favourite podcast platforms.